Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to admit I'm a little worried now. The voice from above that came across. All right, well, I want to start out with uh, an acknowledgement by way of disclaimer or disclaimer by way of acknowledgement. So those of you that are parents, and it's interesting hearing the, um, the story of Joseph, know that for, you know, if your, your children are grown, um, at this point, there's a, a point through your life that you're known, they are known as your son and your daughter. And then there's a point that they kind of find their own way. And then there's a point that you're just their father, right? As they find their, their path. And uh, I want to acknowledge that by way of saying both of our kids, you all know Nick and then our daughter Samantha, have followed. Um, in a world that I am a part of for many years, two very separate worlds, one EMS and one ministry, but uh, for a long time, they were always known as Dale's son, Dale's daughter. Now I find I'm known as Nick's dad, <laughs> Sam's dad, um, because they have now taken that torch. So I, I say that to acknowledge that I realize the shoes that I'm filling this morning. And I, I hope, I pray that I do it justice. His, literally, his shoes are bigger than mine. I just want to say that. Um, but figuratively, I acknowledge and know that I have big shoes to fill this morning, filling in for Nick. And he gave me the topic of discipleship. So we're, we're calling it Discipleship 101. And before I dig in, I just want to Pray with you and ask God's direction. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to share in your word this morning. I thank you for the opportunity here as you just use me to be your mouthpiece. I pray that my words are yours and not mine. And I pray that as we hear you, that it would be your words that we hear and that we each hear what we need to hear in this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so the word discipleship seems to be a buzzword in the world of ministry in a wide variety of dis discipleship programs. And for years, um, authors and scholars have tried to kind of create a cookbook approach to the topic of discipleship. And most of these are great tools, but it is far from a cookbook and certainly not easy if we really dig into discipleship. So let's define that from Google. So kids, if you're listening, you don't have to look it up, but here's what Google says. Discipleship is more than a student or learner. A disciple is a follower. Someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another making them his rule of life 
and conduct. So I want to repeat that because it's worth hearing again. A disciple is someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another, making them his rule of life and conduct. So in real life, everything we see in Jesus, we are to live out in our lives. A disciple of Jesus emulates Jesus in every way and every day. And a disciple lives out the one another's that we all received a couple weeks ago here. So as we go through here this morning, I also want to say that while Nick is my son, we obviously have some DNA um, that we share. We did not compare notes, so I want to make that clear, but after watching his, um, his devotional midweek, it became clear to me that we were listening to the same God as I prepared this message. So you'll hear some repeat in this. Um, I just want you to know that that's not by design, at least not my design, okay? So, sounds simple. Let me start by what I, saying what I believe disciple is, discipleship is not. So it is not a class that we take. It is not a certification or a degree. It's not a book series. It's not even a sermon series. It's not a checklist of do's and don'ts. So, so let's start by seeing what Scripture says and what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. He said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And the next thing it says right after that in verse 18 is it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. So that's what made them disciples is they left what they knew and followed Jesus. And then Jesus kind of sums it up what discipleship is in John 13, 34 to 35. I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives the command, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, so that sounds pretty easy. And I could end right there. We could call the worship team up. We could sing a song and raise our hands and just go, oh, God, help me be more like Jesus. And we walk out of here and feel pretty good. But I'm not going to do that because I think we need to talk about the dirtiness of discipleship. Because I think this is where we don't talk a lot in the church. So can I get us all to agree to one thing before I start? I am a sinner saved by grace. Are you? We are all sinners saved by grace. And we need to learn that and remember that in our journey 
I have A to Z up here to represent a spiritual journey starting at A. And let's just say that's when we come to know Christ. Along the way in life and as we do life and we mature spiritually, we keep thinking we're going to get to Z. But the reality is things happen in our life that we take a step back sometimes. Sometimes we come all the way back here and we get to a point where we rededicate ourselves to Christ and then we start going again. And somewhere along this journey, people watch us. And this is where I want to park today is in this journey and how we see people on this journey. If you would kind of use the metaphor um, of the marriage relationship, this could be the wedding day and the honeymoon, and you see like, this is going to be great, no problems, right? And we are going. We're the perfect couple. Bobby and I have been married over 40 years, and I can tell you that the only one that's been perfect is me. I told you I was a sinner, right? <laughs> Sometimes it was good, and we're like, we're going there, and then things happen, right? And, and we come back. We, we have life crises in the middle of this, and, and we, we fluctuate back and forth. And that's what I want you to have a picture of here as I talk about discipleship this morning. So discipleship does not promote confusion. If our words or actions cause confusion to others, it's not discipleship. Jeff talked about judgment last week. And I want us to think about that in this context of if our words or actions cause confusion to others, it's not discipleship. Discipleship is not self-serving. In a devotional that I read um, in December, there was a one that went like this. A discipleship mentality is other-centered and serving others. Unselfishness is its own reward. It's not dependent on the response of others. Yes, it goes against the grain of human nature, but if you learn to think unselfishly and become a giver, it becomes easier to develop other virtues such as gratitude, love, respect, patience, and discipline. Discipleship is gentle, open, and teachable. The disciple of Jesus is never too good to be beyond learning from others. The older I get, the more I realize that I learn every day from others. And if I'm not open to that, um, I'm... I'm missing out because there are people all around me that have much to offer. Discipleship is full of mercy and good fruits. The health of any fruit tree is in the fruit that it bears. So we need to think about what fruit is coming from our tree. Discipleship is unwavering. 
This is dogma now in the topic that Nick has been uh, teaching on. Discipleship is unwavering. It has convictions that will not change and keeps in mind certainties that are based upon the revelation and knowledge of God. Discipleship is without hypocrisy. It is straightforward and always honest. It's truth wrapped in love. It is not two-faced or given to disguises. So a disciple of Jesus sows and reaps peace. So if, if we tend to create havoc wherever we go, that's not necessarily the spirit of discipleship. I had somebody asking me, and this goes a couple years ago, they were thinking about changing jobs. And uh, this friend came to me, wanted to know my honest um, opinion, um, which is always dangerous. And he uh, you know, gave me the reasons that he wanted to change positions and employers. And I knew he was having some issues, but I also know him pretty well. And, and uh, while I didn't tell him yes or no, I did say to him, just remember wherever you go, you take you with you. And, and I think I need to hear that. I think we all need to hear that at times when we are in that struggle. We take us with us. All things concerning love and the fruit of the Spirit. So what do the disciples, or what do disciples look like? Are they these perfect, angelic beings? Absolutely not. They're a lot like us, very imperfect. If we did a study on each of the disciples, and we look at Peter, um, this is a guy whose mouth engages before his brain. He constantly gets himself into trouble, God, Jesus has to put ears back on because he's cut him off. I, I mean, he's just this ready, fire, aim kind of guy. James and John, they were brothers who wanted to sit at the right and left-hand side of Jesus in, in the kingdom, and they couldn't agree on who was on the left and who was on the right, and they got mom involved even to talk to Jesus to try to advocate for who should be on the right side. And then there's Thomas, who doubted everything. And these were disciples. These were people that Jesus chose to carry out his mission. Sounds a lot like you and I, doesn't it? So if you want to know the rest of the disciples, if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 to 4, you can find out who the other eight disciples are. All right, so what gets in the way of you and I really being a disciple then? We know kind of what it isn't. We know how it should feel. We know who they were. We know they don't have to be imperfect. We know that so far I qualify. I'm imperfect. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Prior to... Uh, Christmas, Pastor Nick took us into a deep dive of the book of James. 
And one of the hurdles of being a disciple of Jesus that James points out is our tongue. And I want to give you a paragraph out of one of my textbooks that says, an uncontrolled tongue is like an entire world hostile to and ignorant of God. Our uncontrolled tongue can be the worst in the matter of sinfulness. It can be an entire system of rejecting God in disobedience and rebellion. A tongue that is uncontrolled can become a realm of wickedness rather than a realm of righteousness in our persons. So to kind of sum, summarize this, as most of you know, I, I am a, a chaplain at the racetrack, and I gave a message on this at the racetrack to a bunch of car people, so you got to understand that. Um, but simply paraphrased, I said this, your tongue is the exhaust pipe of your heart. What is inside your heart comes out the mouth. And in the context of mechanics and racing and everything, especially prior to technology, what was coming out the exhaust pipe, out of the headers, told you a lot of things what was going on inside the engine. And our mouth and our heart have that same relationship. What the tongue begins is difficult to stop. Words once spoken or written cannot be recalled. The range of devastation frequently extends far beyond the life of the person who spoke or wrote them. I have both watched and experienced broken relationships and brokenness all because of the spoken word. And I will tell you, sometimes it was my words that were spoken, that was broken. And then other times, it was other words, others' words to me. My point is those words live on forever in our minds. Words can and do hurt me, and they hurt you. And I know Nick has touched on this some too, but in our culture today, this issue has become much more polarizing by social media where we can say what we want to say without accountability, without anybody on the other end of our words that we can see, and we can do a lot of hurt and a lot of damage on social media. And it has given the written word a global platform to be judgmental with little, if any, accountability. Now, my opinion has created a pandemic more deadly than COVID-19. Our tongue will praise God one moment and slam a person made in God's image the next. I believe this is perhaps the number one method used by Satan to stunt the growth and even kill the church. And again, I want to tell you, I've been guilty of that. That's why I started out. We're all sinners saved by grace. And I think we can all admit that in some way, historically, we've all been a part of that at some point. But this passive-aggressive, two-faced behavior is cancer to the New Testament church. And it squashes our ability to be disciples, let alone to make disciples. So let me illustrate. When our kids were little, and I, I hope other parents can relate to this, but when our, ki when our kids were little, and it was Sunday morning, 
it's time to go to church. We had a 20-minute drive, give or take, to get to church. No matter what time we started to get ready, we were always late. And that 20-minute drive was like, he's touching me. She looked at me. She's in my space. So by the time we get to church, I've already told them, sit on one hand and the other hand goes over their mouth. That way nobody touches and nobody speaks, right? So we get to church, can't get them to their class fast enough. And then we go into our adult Sunday school class with anything but a teachable spirit, but we're there, right? And then things are said, often unintentionally, but things are said that hurt deeply, and let me illustrate that. So one Sunday morning in that adult Sunday school class, so think about what I just said, what that morning is like. We get there, slide into our seats in class, and the teacher starts teaching about how it dishonors God to work on Sunday. Now, you might say, why is that a problem? Let me share with you why that's a problem. At the time, I was employed working as a paramedic, working every other weekend in healthcare, right? So I worked every other Sunday, and now the one Sunday I get there, this guy's telling me I'm a bad disciple because I work in healthcare. And he's challenging us in class to get that right. I, I've often had a problem staying quiet when I disagree, and this was one of those times. And I pushed back, and I said, healthcare workers have to work on weekends. People are sick. They need healthcare workers. His response was, there's enough non-Christians in healthcare that can work the weekend. Just the groans in here, you know what I was feeling, right? Very teachable spirit at this time. So I pushed back further and harder, and um, you know, needless to say, we, we didn't agree. He challenged me to go to my employer and tell them that I won't work weekends, that that's what God would want. And I said, well, how does that minister to all those non-Christians who I work with? But you get my point here, right? I mean, this is somebody teaching in the church that we're attending that we just sweated profusely to get there with two small children. So imagine, if you will, concluding with that um, class, and now we're going into a worship service, and our two kids come upstairs from their class, and now for 45 to 60 minutes, we have to make sure that they are unnoticed and unheard during a worship service, right? Be quiet, occupied. Um, Nick and Sam still talk about getting the look from dad during service, and if I was fortunate enough to be able to reach either one that needed corrected, 
I knew pressure points that would get obedience immediately. <laughs> then when we were done, we quickly tried to get out of there before either one of them ran through the sanctuary and we got the look from an elder like bad parent. Anybody feel this pain? Speak to that. So, first of all, I want to say, if, you know, we don't have a lot of kids here today. There's many Sundays we have, many more, that, as Christina said. But let's just applaud parents. When parents go through what I just described to get their kids into church and start learning about Joseph. And now I want to pause a moment and say, Kanoi, what do we need to do to make that even more welcoming to young families? If we're going to have young families, we got to address this very issue. Okay, so that's just a side note that I felt like I had to say. So, while the last two years, services online have been a critical piece of keeping everything going with the church and keeping teaching going on, keeping some sense of community with everybody, but I want to caution us as we go forward is it's been a, a very needed and still is a very needed aspect of church but it's not the only answer. We need in-person relationship to be disciples. Otherwise, we become a TV audience, and we, we don't grow in this discipleship mentality where we start and, and build relationships with each other. That is where discipleship occurs, and that's going to be where I focus the rest of my time is on this relationship that promotes discipleship. And by the way, if we are simply a TV audience, we are without these children. I don't think, there's so, I'm sure exceptions, but if we watch online, it's easier. I'm going to say, this would have probably been me, is kids, go play in your room. Mom and dad are going to watch church. Right? I mean, that's reality. So we need to be thinking and aware of our future church. A part of discipleship is building trust with one another. And this is why we have to have uh, community. We have to have relationship. We have to have in-person uh, discussions and, and so on. We have to... Um, build trust with each other. I call it paying the relational rent. In a relationship, you only get to speak to that, into that person's life as much as they allow you. You can speak all you want, but they don't hear you unless you've paid rent. And that rent goes deeper and deeper the longer there is relationship with that individual. Trust is earned and then given, it's not entitled or taken. 
let me illustrate. So in, in the ministry that I've been involved in over 20 years, the racing ministry, um, I was training another chaplain uh, one weekend at a big event. And um, so it was his first time at this event, and um, I was taking him around on the golf cart, introducing him to you know some key competitors and, and such, and just trying to give him lay of the land, what we do, et cetera. And then I had a meeting that I had to go to, so I uh, dropped him off in the, in the pit area where all the teams are working on their cars and preparing for the race. And I said, just start conversation. Now, what you need to know is this person I'm training was a pastor of a church of several hundred people in the local area where we were. So, so he's very, very familiar with ministry. So I want you to get that. So I, I come back an hour later, I pick him up, and I, I say, well, how did it go? And, and here are his words. He goes, I don't get it. I said, what? He said, when I was with you on the golf cart, everybody waved to me like, you know, I, I know these people. So I've had relationship with this group of people for years. And they're all going, hey, Chaplain Dale, hey. And so they waved to him because he's with me on the golf cart. When he was by himself, nobody would talk to him. And his words to me were, we wear uniforms that identify us as chaplains. He said, I have the same shirt on as you do, and nobody will talk to me. I said, it's not the shirt. I said, in fact, the shirt might make them not talk to you. I've known these people and been out here for 10 years. You're out here for 10 minutes. He said, I don't have time for this. He said, in my church, I'm the man. I said, then you need to go back to your church. And he left. And I had to call the leadership and say, I don't think he's going to work out. So I hear the groans and the reactions. So are you starting to picture why people outside the church may not want to be a part of this? So we've got to really get intentional in counteracting what is sometimes the easiest behavior. 24 plus years ago, we helped, Bobby and I helped with a, a Brethren in Christ church plant. I was so excited to do something different. Um, what I described to you as young parents was at the previous church, so you can quite understand why I was ready to go some, do something different. And, and this seemed like it was going to be the, the ticket. Um, doing things differently, intentionally reaching people far from God, um, and in the context of ministry, there was the front end, or evangelism, and the back end, discipleship. So get them in the door is evangelism. Growing them is discipleship. So in that con our context, A would be evangelism, getting them in, and then discipleships, like, from here on, all the way through Z. As, as time progressed... Tension becomes evident between the two categories and two concepts, especially when it came time to allocate budgets 
for both efforts. There were, at the time, conferences for both efforts individually. So everything in ministry at that time felt like it was separated. Evangelism and discipleship. As I reflect on that season of ministry, it, it's become, was much more about events and programs under these two categories. And again, I want to say, at the time I couldn't see this, so this is after you know, getting older and, and looking back, reflecting, prayerfully reflecting. If I were serving in evangelism, it was my job to get the people through the doors and into a seat. If it then would be the discipleship people's job to grow them. And as I said, I, I can remember sitting um, in leadership team meetings where, uh, you know, push and pull over, over budget allocation and um, what that may look like and, and so on. And as I reflect back in 18 years since I was ordained and leading a parachurch organization, it is my belief that we can't have one without the other. It is the yin and the yang. It is thing one and thing two. Evangelism and discipleship are married. They're joined at the hip. You can't separate them. While events and programs are certainly important to provide opportunity for introducing people to Jesus or help them grow in their faith, discipleship is a lifestyle. It's not a program. It's paying the relational rent over the time of building trust and walking with a person through the valleys, through the mountaintops, and yes, maybe even through their junk. And that means getting dirty. And that is the dirtiness of discipleship. One of my favorite commentators, his name is John Corson, and he writes this. One of the greatest days in my own Christian walk was the day the Lord whispered a very simple truth into my heart that changed my entire approach to ministry and to life. He said, God said, John, you love them, I'll judge them. You see, before that, this is John talking, you see, before that, I had it the other way around. I thought it was the Lord's job to love people and my job to judge them. I can't tell you how freeing it was to discover that I had it backward. And, and gang, I think we've had it backward in the church. I've had it backward in the church. I can remember distinctly people in the church growing up, um, and I mean growing up to 60 now, um, of people saying, well, I don't have to love them, that's the Lord's job. No, wrong. It's our job to love them, and it's the Lord's job to judge them. Mike, can you play the video? It, it is my hope that we can begin to see people through the eyes 
Jesus sees people. That's what's required for discipleship. I'm going to open it up um, after watching Christina up here with her help. Makes me a little nervous, but open up for question. I will take one question here and one question online. I have one online that I can read. I'll let you think a little bit. So one question here is building relationship is important, but how do we know if we're in a dead end relationship? One that isn't really gonna go anywhere for Jesus or do we keep pursuing no matter what? I, I think that's an individual call that is a prayerful decision. And, and I, will, I will just illustrate very quickly with, I have someone that I've been in relationship with for since 2008, who um, he had some trouble with the law and I was asked to do some mentoring with him. And um, I, I'm not sure how far We've gotten since 2008 in this continuum, but I do know this, that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we exchange a Bible verse at 6 a.m. via text message. And there's times that um, he's had a little too much to drink on a Saturday night, and I get some pretty vicious text messages. And some people would say, I'd cut him off at that point. I haven't been released to do that yet. After he sobers up, I just simply say, I send him a message and I say, if you want it to end, I'll end it here. Otherwise, I'm still here. And he hasn't said to end it yet. He keeps sending me a Bible verse. Now, that's that situation. And I've prayed about that. There's been times that like, God, I'm not sure. Like, I, I think I need to be done. And, and then clearly God's not done there yet. So that's how I would answer that question. Um, any, I'll take one question here. Yeah. So just for the sake of people online, um, the question is in a situation like that, how do you protect yourself um, as, you know, operates in a different moral aspect and, and boundaries than, than you. Um, I, again, I think a lot of that depends on us as individuals. Um, you know, if I were female and doing that in that context of relationship with him, I, I'm sure I would feel differently. Um, but again, over time, I've built a relationship with him that um, quite honestly, it doesn't scare me. Um, but if I felt like I was in danger at some point, certainly I do not advocate to put yourself in harm's way. And again, I think that's a, a, that's a, a individual prayerful decision of how God's leading you and certainly seek wise counsel outside, you know, if, if you're just not sure how that is. But I would never advocate putting yourself into harm's way in that sense. Um, 
Is that helpful? Yeah, great point, Roxanne. We also want to make sure that as we're ministering, they aren't pulling us away from God um, because then we become a disciple of something else and not Jesus. All right, I'm going to, I want to close with a story here to illustrate all of this, hopefully. Um, this is a story of a, a, a lady named Mary that I met. Um, she uh, wanted to have some work done in her house, and she called our office, and she uh, I talked to her, and her immediate words to me were, never hadn't met her at all. This was on the phone, and she said, I'm 70 years old. I know what I want. If I like you, I'll do business with you. <laughs> Can't get more real than that, right? I said, come on in. Let's see what we can do. And um, we struck a friendship uh, that became um, very meaningful over the course of time to uh, both of us. But we were, you know, fast forward, we were finishing up our, I think, third job at her house. And I literally had my hand on the doorknob getting ready to go. And those of you that know me, um, you know, you know I'm a pretty task-oriented individual. Like, I have goals and a list in the day and don't get in my way to accomplish it. Um, that's who I am naturally. So I have to adapt often. But I had my hand on the doorknob, and she says, Dale, I have a question. I was sure it was a question about her kitchen. But no. She says, are you a minister? And I was like, oh, boy. There goes my day. <laughs> and I said, yes, why do you ask? And she said, well, I just thought the way you carried yourself and the way that we've interacted, I just thought that might be the case. And I said, okay, so why, why did you want to know that? And she said, and these were her words, in the event of my demise, would you be my pastor to do my service? And I looked at her and I said, Mary, I would be honored to do that, but you don't have to wait till you're dead to have a pastor. And she said, tell me more about that. So that, that began a, a whole journey that we had together. Um, I was able to lead her to the Lord in that journey. But in that journey, and Nick has alluded to this in a number of his messages too, but in the same era, uh, Nick and Carissa had their first daughter. That same time, Mary had, take, had gotten pancreatic cancer and was in Hershey Med the same time our granddaughter was in Hershey Med, and we would, Bobby and I would stop in to see her when we were there to see Sage, and she's always like, what are you doing here? You need to get upstairs to see your granddaughter. And, and so I want to share that because if you think about this timeline, I met Mary over here, right, pre-Christ. 
She's moved along this continuum pretty rapidly at 70 years old. She really grew in her faith. I'm somewhere in here, and my faith is being challenged right now because my granddaughter's dying. And so now Mary is ministering to me. So as it turns out, Sage does pass away. Mary is too sick to come to church anymore. And um, she calls me and wants to know, she's pretty close to passing away, and she wants me to bring communion to her. And, um, and I'll just be honest, spiritually, I wasn't there. I mean, I just, I was numb, I was angry, I was hurt, I was anything you can fill the blank in at that point, but I knew that I needed to do that. And so I went to her home, and I served her the elements, I read scripture, I prayed with her, and um, I'll never forget, she, I, I said amen, and, and I opened my eyes, because I said Amen. She is sitting there in her bed, and she is like this. And she had this biggest grin on her face, and her face was just so lit up. And I'm like, she sees Jesus. In that moment of her praying, of her taking the elements and communion, had nothing to do with my faith. I, I was <laughs> going this way. She's going this way, and she's, come on, Dale. And, and I believe God put that whole timing together because she did pass away after that. That was the last time I saw her alive. And I did get to do her funeral. And in closing, and I'm going to pray, I want to read you a letter that she wrote. I have been seeking a church home since I was a teenager. As my parents were not churchgoers, this was a solitary pursuit. As a child, I went with my grandparents to the Christian church, but that ended when my grandmother became too ill to attend. After an unchurched period when I lived in Florida before World War II, I came back to Johnstown and attended the Presbyterian church with my uncle and aunt. I was finally baptized there when I was 14. After my relatives died, I had a period of questioning during my college years. Organized churches, with all their greetings and handshaking, weren't welcoming to me. I kept reading and questioning to thin air for many years. Keep in mind, I met her when she was 70. In 2011, I decided to redo my kitchen and bathrooms. I contacted Dale and the rest is history. My bathrooms and kitchen are perfect, but I really believe Dale and I met so that he could lead me finally to a sufficient faith in Christ. Dale invited me to his church in 2011 and you all, this was written to the congregation, you all led me to the most fulfilling period of my life. I finally found a group of Christians who believed and showed that serving others was of paramount importance. 
I discovered my college motto in action, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The brief time I was a part of your congregation and participated in the weekly lessons, I learned and grew, applying what I learned during the week. With the help of the congregation's acceptance, I finally developed faith. With that faith, I've been able to face pancreatic cancer with peace and joy. God recognized my need and gave me you. I would do all that I can in my time remaining to spread the good news. Thank you all, Dale, Bobby, and crew, for all your prayers and cards. Keep reaching out to others. You are needed and appreciated. Discipleship. It's relationship. It's digging into with people. It's getting to know them through all the stuff and just being real with them. Let me pray. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.